Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pirkei Avos podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. For this week, we begin with Perek Hay, Mishnah Chaf Beis, Chapter 5, Mishnah 22. And the Mishnah is continuing with different lessons or different traits that define people to be the students of Avraham Avinu, to be the students of Abraham, or if they have these other three traits, they're the students of Bilam, Bilam Harasha. And we're, we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. So let's continue. The Mishnah starts, Kol Whoever has these following three traits, who is among the disciples of our forefather Abraham, our forefather Avram Avinu, and whoever has these different traits, who shall Bilam Harasha is of the student, a disciple of Bilam, the wicked. The Mishnah is first defining for us the three traits that make someone a disciple of Avram. And then on the flip side, we're listing the three traits that make someone a disciple of Bilam HaRasha. So one's for the good and one's not so good. Now the Mishnah lists the traits. The first of the three traits that make someone a student of Ramavinu of, of Abraham is Ayin Toiva, the Ruach Nemucha, Vinefesh Fala, Talmidov Shal Avramavinu. Those who have a good eye, a humble spirit, and an undemanding soul are the disciples of our, our forefather Abraham. And the Mishnah continues. Ayin ra veruach givoya venefesh rechava talmidav shall bilam harasha. Those who have an evil eye, an arrogant spirit, and a greedy soul are the disciples of the wicked bilam. So we just spoke out the three different traits on each side that determines whether someone is a student of Abraham or a student of bilam. Now the Mishnah continues. What's the difference? What's the difference between the, the disciples of Avram Avinu, of Abraham, and the disciples of Bilam the wicked? And the, the Mishnah poses it as a question. And the Mishnah answers. The students of Avram Avinu, they enjoy the fruits of their good deeds in this world and inherit the world to come. And the Mishnah brings a verse to back up this answer. Shenemar, it says, And it, we bring a verse in Proverbs as it says, to cause those who love me to inherit an everlasting possession, which is referring to the world to come, and I will fill their storehouses, which, which refers to this world. So we see a source 
that people who live in the footsteps of Avramavina, as we're going to explain, you know, we're going to get into that soon, what that means exactly, and these three different traits. But the people who fill that criteria, who live in that way, they are going to benefit in this world and in the next world. But the Mishnah continues, but the disciples of the wicked Bilam, they inherit Gehenim, which is a translation of hell, and descend into the well of destruction. As the verse states, Shanamar, the, the Mishnah quotes the verse, which is in Psalms, Tehillim. It says, And you, O God, shall lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. So the Mishnah lists what happens if people fall in the footsteps of the wicked Bilam. Now we have a lot to really get into tonight. This mission, it's a very, a lot of ideas are expressed here and it seems maybe even some of the ideas could be even repetitive and there's opposites. And I wanted to try to jump into a few ideas which we could take out of this Mishnah as always to apply to our lives, to, to gain some Torah knowledge on how to be better people, to get closer to Hashem. So the first question which I want to discuss tonight is the, how the Mishnah starts off, right? Because the Mishnah started, whoever has these three traits is from the, the disciples of Abraham, of Abraham, and whoever has these other three traits is a disciple of Bilam the wicked. It's interesting. Wouldn't you think the Mishnah should list off the three traits first, right? The Mishnah should list ayin toiva, a good eye, veruach nemucha, a humble spirit, venevashvala, and a um, and a undemanding soul. And we should say these are the traits of of the students of Avraham Avinu. Why do we? Why does the Mishnah first say make a statement? These three traits are the traits of Avraham Avinu. We don't even know what we're talking about yet. And these three traits are the of the of the are, are the disciples of Bilam Arasha. We don't know what we're talking, but we, we haven't discussed anything yet. Why does the Mishnah first make a bold statement and only later on fill us in on the details? Wouldn't it make more sense to first list the three traits that put someone into the category as a disciple of Avram and the three traits that list someone as a disciple of Bilam? Why the need? for the big, bold statement first, that these are the traits of Avinu, These are the traits of Bilam. So an answer I saw is that the Mishnah is teaching us a lesson. That when, when we list, or when the Mishnah makes that bold statement, saying that these are the traits of Avinu, these are the traits of Bilam HaRasha, and only later on brings down what they are, the Mishnah is sending a very clear message that the three traits that we're going to list are the bedrock of ethical development, which in of itself 
makes someone a student of Avram Avinu. And, and on the flip side, a student of Bilam. We're, we're making that statement to emphasize that what we're about to list, what we're going to talk about, are such powerful traits. And they define a person so much that it's the, ethic, the bedrock of a person's ethical development, which puts them into either one camp or the other. So in order to get that message across, the Mishnah emphasizes right away in the beginning, these are the traits that make you like Avram Avinu. These are the traits that make you like Bilam Harasha to help us recognize the importance of what they're about to list. And similarly as well, for the traits of, of Bilam Harasha, that if we, these are the traits that put someone on the wrong road, they put us on the wrong direction. And in order to give over that message, to, to that we should know the, I guess, the, the, the importance of these traits, the Mishnah lists it off right away. And it's even interesting because it's brought down that many of, if not all, of our character traits that we have to work on are really subdivisions and breakoffs of these three traits. Obviously, the good ones for Avram Avinu and the bad traits are all subdivisions from these three traits of Bilam. So really, when we talk about foundation, it really is very appropriate because from these three or th from these six um, points of character development, many other um, character traits develop and are, I, I guess, are outgrowths, are gr grow out of. Now, another point which I thought was very interesting is that, you know, the Mishnah makes a very, makes a statement that the statement that the Mishnah made is that whoever goes in this way is a student of Avraham Avinu, is a disciple of Abraham. And God forbid, if someone doesn't do the right thing, the three, the three that are not so good, you become a disciple of Bilam HaRasha, of Bilam the wicked. So I, I know sometimes this term is thrown around a lot of times, but I wanted to discuss it a little bit because I think sometimes it's the things that we discuss and talk about the most that we sometimes maybe can miss the boat on. You know, many times we hear people speaking about leaving a legacy. You know, in, in, in politics, sometimes you hear it as a presidential legacy or people, you know, he, you know, when someone passes on, we talk, we're talking about a, a grandparent or a family member. We talk about following in their footsteps, leaving a legacy. But what does that mean, continuing the legacy? Is it just a you know, flashy catchphrase? What's, what does it mean to be a student of Avram Avinu? What is, it, what is the meaning? What is the definition of following in the footsteps, continuing the legacy of Avram Avinu, or, and even leaving a legacy? You know, it sounds nice, but what does it really mean? So I wanted to take a moment to really understand this because it is something that I think we hear a lot. And, you know, maybe we hear it, but we don't really understand exactly what the true essence of it is. So hopefully we'll get some clarity, God willing. So to me, my understanding of leaving a legacy, following in the footsteps, following the legacy, the meaning is that what we're trying to say is that when we want to follow in our grandparents' footsteps or follow in, a, in someone else's legacy, to continue the legacy of someone else, 
It doesn't just mean, you know, to try to, you know, if they went to a Yankees game once a year to do that, it means that we're going to be part of something much bigger. And there's something larger than just us. It means that we're part of a chain, a storyline, and we want to continue that story. So for us as Jews, we're also leaving a legacy and continuing a legacy, following in the footsteps, because we have a tradition. It's called tradition. You know, I know it was made famous from the fiddler on the roof, tradition, tradition. But it's really more than that because it's something called Misora, the, the tradition. And when we have this Misora, it means something's passed down from father to son. And in Judaism, besides for having the written Torah, which is the Torah, the five books of Moses, we also have the oral Torah, which is the Talmud and the Mishnah, which is an explanation of all of, of the whole Torah. And until, until a few thousand years ago, it was something which was given over from father to son each generation. And the reason that it was set up in a way, I've heard this explained, that the reason why we have a written Torah and an oral Torah as a, I guess, a decoder is because if we would not have a oral Torah, we would just leave and everything was written down in our written Torah, what would happen? We would get ourselves a volume of this, you know, humongous set of laws and, and um, you know, code, and we put it on the shelf. Maybe we look at it once in a while when we need to look something up. But other than that, it wouldn't be something which is daily part of our lives that we are constantly working on to get clarity and to pass over to the next generation. I'm sure, you know, for those of you who have been to a lawyer's office or a court, you know, sometimes you see you see a shelves of, of books. And I, I, I know I, maybe I've just seen pictures in offices of lawyers. You see these shelves and shelves of law books, you know, and they sit there. How often do you think the lawyer or the judge pulls open the volumes to check something up? Every, once a day for a few minutes? I don't know. Once a week? Once a month? Once a year, never. I can't imagine it's something that he does all the time. I can't imagine that's something on the top of his mind. So the reason that we have a written Torah and an oral Torah to be that explanation is because the sages wanted to ensure that the Torah will be transmitted from one generation to the next, to be learned by father to son, to be constantly on our mind, because that's it is a living Torah. We have a Torah Schaim, a living Torah. It's not a the Torah is not something which we take and put on the shelf. It's something that we have to study day in and day out. It is our ways to connect to Hashem. So going back to our, our, our question about leaving a legacy, following in the footsteps, as a Jew, that means more than that means the Mesorah, the tradition. That means that when my my parents did something, my grandparents did something, I'm not just doing it. Just because they did it, it means I'm part of something larger. There's a bigger picture here. I'm part of a chain. And when we look at the, these, these actions, let's just say if a parent did a certain mitzvah and the child wants to continue that, it's more than just us doing it because our father did it. It's because we're continuing the chain. We're continuing the tradition from one generation to the, to the next because we're realizing the fact 
that there's something greater going on here. There's this massive portrait that I'm part of, but it extends far beyond my vision, far beyond my existence. And when we realize that, it, it brings significant importance to this concept of leaving a legacy. And the same thing could be said about you know, good deeds that a person does, emulating them, because that also is included in you know, the Torah, in, the Torah commands us to work on our, our midos as well, to, to better ourselves to perfection. And when we want to follow in someone's footsteps, the way they acted in a positive way, to, to make a memory of them as well, you know, obviously, number one, it elevates their soul and elevates us. And it's, again, it's, it's making recognition of the fact that there's something bigger going on here. We might not understand exactly how this picture looks, but that's not our job. Our job is to continue that chain, to not to make sure it stays strong. And it's, you know, just another point, which is, you know, talking about this tradition and Misora and legacies is that when we get to that realization that it's bigger than us, we realize how much more our actions and non-actions are worth. That there's major ramifications for everything we do and everything we don't do. So when we have that outlook, it gives more importance to everything we were, were involved with. So just that's just a, a thought about what it means to be a disciple of Abraham, to that, what that concept means, leaving a legacy, following in the footsteps. And I think with that, we'll continue to the next point in the Mishnah. You know, one question which I noticed was that some of the commentaries ask that the Mishnah only speaks of the students of Abraham, the students of Avram Avinu. Would it not be more appropriate to list, you know, the traits, uh, these traits as students of Moshe Rabbeinu, as the students of Moshe? Moshe was the greatest leader that the Jewish people ever had. Why are we zooming in on Abraham? Why are we picking him that we're going to be the disciples of Abraham if we follow these three traits? If they're the bedrock of ethical formation, the, ed, the, the, the I guess, the, the source for all character development, shouldn't we pick the most refined and most perfect human being, which is Moshe Rabbeinu as, the, as, the, as, as someone who is who we could strive to be? Why are we picking Avram Avinu? Why are we picking Abraham? Why does the Mishnah say that whoever has these three traits is the student of Avram Avinu? Stay, say that they're going to be the students of Moshe Rabbeinu. So I saw a few different answers that explain this question. Now, according to some opinions, one can only be, one can only be considered a student of Moshe Rabbeinu if you would fulfill the entire Torah. And therefore, it's not appropriate to say that just three three things would make someone a student of Moshe Rabbeinu, but another, but others explain that the Mishnah is teaching us an important lesson: that anyone, Jewish, non-Jewish, can become a student of Avraham Avinu, and that's why we picked Abraham. That's why we're a student of Avraham Avinu, because we know Avraham Avinu was not just a, a forefather for the Jewish people, but he's referred to as Av Hamon Goyim. 
He's a father of multitude of nations. And he had a, he personally had a major impact on humanity. He introduced monotheism and he influenced the, the masses in the world for most of the religious beliefs today. I'm not getting into other religions, but most religions believe in some form of monotheism. You know, maybe they they have they do different things with prophets, but the whole idea of monotheism was introduced by Avram Avinu. You know, maybe they're not, they don't believe in Hashem like we believe in Hashem. Avram Avinu introduced monotheism to the world. So therefore the Mishnah is giving us a, a insight here that if somebody doesn't, you could be Jewish, you could be not Jewish. If you work on these three traits, as we're going to list, eye and tova, good eye, the, and a humble spirit and an undemanding soul, you are a student of Avram Avinu. Anyone and everyone can be a student of Avram, of Abraham. And this is something which is an accept, which is accessible to all people. We should remember that there is a basis for everyone to start working on themselves, to, to refine their character development. And I do feel sometimes, you know, maybe nowadays, there's not so much a stress on working on one's inclinations, on working on our development, our character development. You know, it's it's more of you 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 get the feel from society that it's just be who you are and you know don't say what you want and do what you want. But the Torah's outlook is not like that. We are created with an animal soul and a spiritual soul, and we have, our mission is to take the to overpower the physical, the physical within ourselves, because we have certain nature, and our job is to overcome that nature to develop ourselves to be better human beings, to perfect ourselves. So this is the one lesson of the Mishnah to, to that everybody, all of humanity has the ability to strive to be better people. You know, you can't use that excuse that, oh, I was born this way. You're right. It could be hard to change a trait, to train a mida, which means a, to, to work on character development. But it's doable. It's, it starts somewhere. And the Mishnah says it starts with these three traits, these three character developments. So the Mishnah says, what are the three traits that make someone a student of Avraham Avinu? The first one was ayin tova, a good eye. The second one was ruach nemucha, which is a humble spirit. And the third one was v'nefesh fala, a undemanding soul. So let's go through them one by one. The first trait is a good eye. So when you think of a good eye, you think of positivity, you think of giving compliments. And that's true. That is what a good eye is, an eye and tova is. But it's it's more than that. An eye and tova is that besides her being positive and being happy, it means that you're looking at the good and you're satisfied with, with your lot. It means that we're generous, magnanimous, and this is one of the traits of Avraham Avinu. So you might say, how do I do that? How do I have a good eye? It's hard for me to look at people in a positive way. So a tip which I thought works, is helpful, is that if we try, if you know certain people are easier to find the good in and certain people are harder. But if we try to find something good about somebody else, and specifically about somebody that maybe is a little bit annoying to us or we don't like so much. 
and we look for the good in them because every person has some good. We'll be able to change our outlook on people. We find good traits in people. We find the positive aspects of, of others. It helps us gain that good eye when it comes to others. And becoming more satisfied with what we have is getting to the realization that everything is from Hashem. Telling ourselves that, believing it, knowing it, that the situation we're placed in was specifically made for us to be the best we can be. And there's no way I could have what somebody else has. It was determined for me, for you, for every single person, how much money they should have, which family they should be with, which city they should live in. You're right, we need to do our due diligence, but we shouldn't look at others and say, oh, I want that. You only become satisfied with your lot. You only are happy with what you have when you appreciate all the good in our own lives, when we appreciate what we have, all the things that are going right in our life. When we start counting our blessings, we become more satisfied. We have this overwhelming feeling of gratitude to Hashem. So those are two ways which can help us develop a good eye. Ruach Nemucha, a humble spirit. We know that humility is a major component in character development. As humans, it's a trait which is very hard to keep. We, we have it, but it's hard to keep because we accomplish, we do. And very quickly, we start thinking that we did this and we did that. And we become arrogant in the skills and abilities that we have, forgetting that they were granted by God to serve him. But if we have humbleness, if we keep our humbleness, we always will be focused on Hashem, be focused on God. You know, the, the great masters of the Muslim movement bring down that many times it's arrogance, the opposite of humility, which cause a person to do averas, which cause a person to do sins. And that is the root of most of the, I guess, willing sins, not unknown knowing sins that a person does. Because sometimes a person thinks, oh, I could do this. Like they, we feel a certain arrogance, which allows us to transgress, to do something wrong. Because if we felt just total gratitude to Hashem, total gratitude to God, the thought, and we had that humility, the thought of doing something against him, how could I, somebody who's a taker, we just take, 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 all human beings, we're all just taking, we're totally dependent on Hashem, just like that newborn baby is totally dependent on a parent. So how could I have the chutzpah to do something against God? Right? So it's only the arrogance of I am this, I think I'm so good, that causes us many times to do avers, to do sins. Now, at the same time, you might say, what does it mean to be a humble? Does that mean I have to put myself down? So does that mean I have to not recognize my strengths? No, that does not mean humility. Humility is recognizing the strengths that you have. If a person doesn't know his abilities, what he can do, that is not humbleness. Rather, being an, an unof, a humble person, is when we know our strengths and know our abilities, and we recognize them, 
But we don't say that it's me, I can do this, I can do that. But rather we give, we give credit to where credit is due. And that it's, you're right, we can have a strength. I am good at this, I am good at that. But Hashem is the one who gave it to us. We have to realize that and keep it central to our mind. There's a famous Gemara in Sota, the Talmud in Sota states, um, different traits, it's, I, don't, I can't rec- recall the exact Gemara right now, but the Gemara was going through a different time frame and saying that when this great rabbi died, this trait ceased to exist. And this great rabbi, and we go through many, many different traits where they list off different rabbis and seem that the greatness of these different traits and their abilities stop. And the Mishnah says, when this and this rabbi died, humility stopped. And the Gemara's next line is actually shocking to many. So another one of the Amorayim says, the Tanoim, I don't remember offhand, says, what do you mean that humility ceased? I'm still alive. I'm alive and I'm an onov. I'm a humble person. That's a little shocking. Someone should say, I'm humble. How is that humility? And the commentaries explain this idea that we're, we're talking right now, that he knew he was humble and him saying it was not a lack of humility, but rather it was correct. That was humility because when you know what you are, you just know where it comes from. That makes you great. That makes you a humble person. So that just is a second point. Now you might question, how do you become humble? How, how do you accomplish that? Is there like a magic pill that you take it, you know, and you become, you gain humility? Is it deficiency in our vitamins? Is there a place I could buy it in the store to get some vitamin H? So the Masilis Yisharim, the path of the just written by Moshe Chaim Lutzato, he gives a few different methods how someone can gain the trait of humility. And he says that when we realize how many limitations we have as human beings, the deficiencies that we we have, how precarious our life situation is, that brings us to another. When we realize how feeble we are, and sometimes it's sometimes we see others in a situation and we we real we realize, we feel it. Now you go into a hospital, you see people hooked up to machines and they're hanging on to life with a, in a hair's breath. See how life is so fragile. Something happens to somebody, right? But we don't need those situations to happen for us to get that recognition of humility to get to, or to realize how feeble we are, to realize how precarious, how precious life is, how much limitations we have. You know, if you start thinking about it, you know, so many things could happen that could end our end our lives. The point is that we're we're to, we're here totally. It helps us realize that we're here totally by the grace of God. And when we think about these things, how much we could do, which is not so much, right? I mean, obviously, we could. Point is, we need to try to do. But my point is that in the greater picture of what we can do, we're limited. We can only do so much. There's so much some time in the day, and. Um, how things can change in a moment, right? If, if, if there's anything that this last two years have taught us is that we're just not in control. Our plans can be turned upside down in about a split second. We think we're doing one thing 
And Hashem tells us, no, you're doing another. When we, we internalize these ideas, it makes us humble. It makes us into a more of an anav. It gives us that humility that will help us recognize Hashem. And the third idea or the third trait which makes us into a student of Avram Avinu is nefesh shefala, an undemanding soul. What does it mean, an undemanding soul? It means you don't say, you know, if someone gives you uh, the wrong order at a restaurant, you don't uh, get angry. Is that what it means? Almost. What it means is that somebody who is can exercise restraint and control and the little things, he doesn't sweat the little things. He's able to overcome his impulses, especially when it comes to forbidden things. He can hold himself back. That is somebody who is a student of Aramavinu. And you know what? It's not just the forbidden things which we need to learn to hold ourselves back on sometimes. Because many times we are a creature of habit. Human beings are a creature of habit. And we do things, sometimes we get ourselves accustomed to doing things that we don't really need. And I'm not saying we should deprive ourselves right now, but everybody in their lives and in their situation, we could all think of things which we do, which maybe where we became habitual to us and they maybe hold us back, right? We're not happy unless we have this exact jam or we use this specific brand. And maybe these things are holding us back. So the point is that we have to be careful. Again, I don't want to say that people should deprive themselves. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the Torah does encourage us to be careful when it comes to things that might hold us back if they become routine, if they become habit. And I think this is also included in this idea of nefesh shefala, that for sure the forbidden things, to be able to, to hold back and not just give in, that is a key to character development. We'll be able to overpower that physicality within ourselves. But it's not just that. It's also even the things that are permitted to us to not just let it go, to just let our desires go for any whim. Rather, we should try to think it through. You know, do we really want this now? Do we really need it now? At least think about it. I'm not saying you shouldn't indulge yourself in that piece of chocolate or that, you know, sip of wine, whatever it is. But thinking about it, is this something which I'm getting myself accustomed to a little bit too much? And I think that's included in this um, thought about nefesh shefala. And just to quickly finish, the Mishnah listed the three traits which make someone a, a student of Bilam the wicked, which is really the, the opposite of these three traits. And I thought it was interesting that the Mishnah had to list them, even though they're the diametric opposite of the good traits, right? What maybe you think you don't even need it. If we know that these are the good traits, we say, and whoever doesn't have these is, is a student of, of uh, Bilam. So someone said to me, one of my friends, we were discussing this question a little bit, Rabbi Miller. And he was, he, his opinion was that maybe the Mishnah brings down the, the, the reasons why, brings down the traits which make someone a student of Bilam HaRasha because it wants to give over this importance that maybe we might think to ourselves that, okay, if I don't follow these three traits, the three traits of Ramavinu, 
I'm okay. I'm just, I'm not so good. I'm not so bad. I'm just in the middle. Maybe the Mishnah is giving us this message that if we don't try to work to have these three traits, that we're automatically going to be in the school of Bilam HaRasha. Because it's either we're for or against. Like I, I've mentioned before, there's no plateauing in Judaism. It's either up or down. And we have to recognize that. So if we're, maybe we would think, okay, I'm not, I won't work in these three traits, but I'm still okay. No, the Mishnah is saying, if you don't work on it, it's the other way. We, we're included in this in the school of Bilam HaRasha. And nobody wants to be in that camp. So therefore, we should all try to work and to give ourselves the strength to keep going and work on these three traits. It's in our reach, slow, small steps. And God willing, we'll be all, we, and God willing, we'll all become, we all, we all are, we'll, we'll strengthen that, that connection to Avram Avinu, to the students of, as students of Abraham. And with that, I'm going to finish tonight's Mishnah. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlomokon with a K at gmail.com.